0: Hello and welcome to episode 60 of the Brighton Rock podcast. Peter, we're really storming through these, aren't we? <laughs> I
1: don't know how we got the 60 in less than like, in like eight months or something.
0: <laughs> well, you're, you're back with us again um, after a brief, um, a brief break. Robin is also back after a few weeks. Welcome back, Robin, our regular guest. How are you doing? Thank
3: you. Good to be back. Yeah, no, nice.
0: All good. Excellent. But it's certainly not just the three of us because we have a special guest with us as well. It's a man that many people will know audially from uh, his BBC Sussex um, exploits. It's Mr. Johnny Cantor. How are you, Johnny? I'm
2: very well, thank you, guys. Nice to... And, well, thanks for letting me join you. Thanks for coming
0: on. Absolute pleasure. Fantastic to see you. Um, It feels a bit surreal, although I have met you before at a Seagulls Over London event, which you came to, and Peter as well has. Um, It's still a bit surreal seeing you in the flesh, so to speak. Via uh, technology, <laughs> when it's normally just your voice.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's strange surreal. that, isn't it? Um, they, they'd probably say, oh, I've got a great face for radio, probably.
0: <laughs> well, we certainly do. We've, we've got good voices for silent cinema, unfortunately, as well, but uh, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> um, anyway, it's a, it's a great pleasure to have you on. And what we were going to do today was um, just ask you a little bit about your uh, career and, and how you've come to do what you do. And then we were going to do a review of the season. Uh, the ups and downs, the surprises, good and otherwise, um, who really impressed you and what you were thinking of the transfer markets and contract renewals and all that sort of stuff. So without any further ado, we'll, we'll ask you firstly about your career. How did you come to be who you are now?
2: Who I am now? Um, well, I tend not to want to be totally defined by my job, but <laughs> um, in this sphere I probably am. But. In a way, what I do now, or how probably most fans, Brighton and Hope Albion fans know me, is something that I probably wanted to do when I was very, very young. Um, it was really a childhood dream, to be honest. Um, I actually started, I often saying, I think I'd mentioned it before um, to some groups, is that you know, I used to play around with commentating while I was playing sabuto with my brother during very, very long holidays on our own, um, on our lounge floor, that's how it sort of started for me. Um, so I had that sense of, and I was a big radio listener, you know, I used to listen to the likes of Peter Jones and, and people like that, you oh. know. My dad was, um, was was unlike me, he was very, very handy with his, with his hands, he was quite practical, he actually made me a little Chrysalis radio set that I actually used to plug in my ear. And I used to stick it under the pillow and listen to the European nights when I should have been asleep and all that sort of stuff, so you know I was always quite attached to radio and and live commentaries um, in those days obviously it was radio too um, so it, yeah, so from that point of view, it was something but I never ever thought that this is what I would probably be doing now um, then I mean in those days I mean uh, you know i'm over fifty now so um, you when I sort of graduated and, and left school, there just wasn't really, there wasn't really a pathway as such. I mean, most journalists sort of used to start in print, go into radio, and then if you were lucky, ended up in TV. Mine was not really like that because, you know, I, I didn't really know anyone in the industry. I had no real connections. Um, and it just felt like it was something that was getting away from me. And I then actually, I actually retrained. I left my work and retrained and did a master's in journalism. And that was probably the prompt, really, for me to get back into it. I mean, I always wanted to do sport, but they did say to me, you know, if you want to be able to do sport, you know, you need to be able to do everything, really. Um, if you just do sport, you'll only be able to do sport. If you can do everything, you know, you'll be able to turn your hand to sport, entertainment, whatever. So um, I first started working. I'll probably, probably end up writing, actually, because I've done it the other way around. Because I did first, when I was younger uh, and probably better looking, started on television. Um, at uh, South Today, working with the likes of Roger Johnson, who um, Mm. was uh, was not really a mentor, but he was someone who was very helpful for my career. Um, So I started off with that, doing news and then a bit of sport. But the way I really started was I I offered my services for the 2004 Olympics, and I used to mark down all the local competitors in the South, you know, and and where they were on the tapes, because it was overnight, and I used to sort of... so-and-so's got this time in the heats of the 100, 100 metres. And, you know, this person went out in the sailing and whatever it may be. And then it sort of grew from there, really. And I started putting together little packages for them. And then, then I moved into more reporting and doing specialist features. And But I was always quite linked with Olympics, Commonwealth Games. Um, mm. But my love is football. Um, I do like cricket, golf and tennis as well. They're my sport. I'm not really much of a petrol head, but... Um, uh, and then I managed to be able to get the opportunity to to do some football commentaries. And I, and I started in non-league. Um, oh. you know, I think the first game I ever actually sort of reported on was a game at Basingstoke Town in the FA Cup against, I think it was Tiverton Town. Um, and uh, probably pr- uh, preliminary qualifying round or something like that. Um, so I was given a go. And then eventually I sort of, I don't know whether I was promoted, but I managed to get uh, work, working for Weymouth. Football club who were then on the rise actually and managed to make it up to the National Leagues So that's how I cut my teeth in it. And that's how I got into radio commentary per se Um, And then the rest is is history as they say, you know, a variety of different clubs and then and now I've just passed my 10th anniversary commentating on the Albion.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's a great stint Um, interestingly, I mean, I've just turned 49 this month and what you said about Peter Jones and earphones under pillows is incredibly familiar to me that's exactly what i did as well from my uh, house in worthing where i was living with my family Mm. and um yeah there's something evocative about it i think the more obscure it was as well with the you'd have the phone line wouldn't you the commentary through the phone line that sort of thing just added even more atmosphere to to matters so yeah Um, and and it's
2: about sound really because sound can Mm. be very evocative i know you know, people who write have a way of creating images through their words. You are doing the same, but you do the, and actually if you think about some of those great world cups, you know, down in Argentina and stuff, it was the sound that made it as well. Mm. Not just the commentary, not just the excitement of the game, because some of them actually were probably quite boring, but actually it is the sound. And, And that's why actually this year doing the games with, you know, behind closed doors without any fans it's actually sort of been a little bit of a throwback to how I started because I was started commentating in front of very very small crowds without a summarizer, constantly talking, trying to fill gaps, trying to create atmosphere, trying to be informative, trying to entertain people as well um and actually it was probably the great a great sort of um foundation for me and and something that holds you, holds you in sort of good stead for for these sort of times really because it is a bit different and it's it's not the same because as a commentator, you do tend to ride the noise of a, a crowd. Um, um, it just, it's just the way that you work and that's what creates the excitement or the drama. Um, and it's obviously not there at the moment.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's a good point, actually. I mean, I was listening to a few of the Premier League games on national radio over the lockdown and actually it was quite difficult to tell. Normally, you know when a goal or a big moment is close from the commentator's voice, but occasionally a goal would go in And it was almost like, you know, there hadn't been the sort of normal vocal build up to it. So you're absolutely right. It is. You do ride off the the sort of energy from it. Yeah. And that's it. it is about energy. And
2: you you have to you can create it yourself. But sometimes I mean, if it's a boring game and it's dull, um, I'm trying to think of I remember I think it was when uh, Louis Stung actually made his debut. I think it was against M.K. Dons away. Was it the last yeah, game of the season? Was it a nil-nil mm-hmm. draw. I think it was his debut, or maybe that was Jake Paul Casty's debut. I just remember it being an absolutely shocking game. But uh, but you have to sort of generate that interest anyway. Um, but at the same time, you know, when I speak to ex-players, they say it's that it's the sort of duty of the players to create that atmosphere as well because by the way that they're playing so it's a bit of a sort of mutual thing you're feeding off each other to a certain degree but there will be parts of the game where it's frenetic there'll be parts of the game that it's uh, that it's a lot calmer
0: yeah how, how important is the co-commentator in the, in the form of radio as opposed to tv um i mean is, is it crucial do you think it would be impossible to do the job to not have a break, pretty much. If <laughs> well, you I, have, I, have,
2: right. I have done it and um, yeah. it is very, very difficult. Um, you sort of end up virtually talking to yourself, as it were, mm. asking yourself questions that you then go and answer <laughs> to a certain degree. But it's about rapport, it's about uh, relationships and, and that, is, that builds over time. So sometimes you might listen to a net, national commentary, you might think, well, these guys don't seem to work well in tandem, but it might be the first time they've worked together. So mm. you start to feed off each other as well. Um, Obviously, I've worked with now with Warren for quite a long period of time. So hopefully, we build up some sort of sort of good sort of rapport. But you know, even in the early days when I had the likes of you know, Norman Gaul, um, Johnny Byrne, I had a very good relationship with in terms of on air. You just get to know when when someone wants to say something, or actually when they don't want to say something. I mean, there will be periods where a summariser just thinks, well, I don't want to say anything. There's nothing to say. I've, I've said my piece and that's it sort of thing. And that's your job to then carry on, as it were. I mean, some people call it co-commentary. I'm not a massive fan of that. I very much see it as a commentator and a summariser. Um, slightly different roles for me. The ex-pro is there generally to explain, analyse. I am there to describe and maybe prompt as well because I will ask Warren questions I'll say what did you think of that or you know, sometimes I'm a little, little bit more blunt than others sometimes he virtually knows what I want him to say or or, or what, I, what we want to discuss about that particular move perhaps um, or that particular player and again that comes with time so I don't have to really go with those obvious prompts to him but um, it's all about relationships really I mean i have been very very lucky you know Adam Hinshelwood uh, adam virgo who i always lay claim that i I should have been on some sort of rights issue with him in terms of uh, giving him the leg up because where he is now Um, but you know i think he's a great pundit now as well and also i think certain pundits are more suited to certain different media Um, i mean you never know whether you you know some people i think are better tv commentators than radio commentators or some of those better radio commentators than tv commentators i think it's the same with punditry really i mean in, tele- in radio, you have to you can't stop talking. Uh, in television, you can talk more in sound bites. Um, I'm trying to think at the moment of an example. Somebody like I'm not saying he couldn't do radio, but I think Glenn Murray comes across very well on the television because yes. he's got an opinion, he knows what it is, he articulates it, and it's in a nice bite-sized chunk. And that's why I think he works so well on television. Now, I've never seen him or listened to him on the radio. So in terms of a summariser, I'm sure he could probably do that as well. But I do think it lends itself to, 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 nicely to someone like that. And, but it is different people, different media. But for me, it's all about the relationship.
1: There's probably quite a big difference between radio and TV because you are the eyes and ears of, or certainly the eyes of people who are when you're on a radio. Whereas TV, obviously, yeah, they're, as you say, they're seeing it in front of them, so you don't. It's not the same descriptive yeah. needle, needle. Almost, is it's kind of. Yeah. Yeah. It's more I'm about, about player identification,
2: yeah. isn't it?
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: Sorry.
3: Cool. Yeah, I think no, as I was to say, I think TV commentators often. You think Martin Tyler, especially, he's almost there to kind of give the atmosphere. You know, for the fan mm-hmm. at home, he's trying to give it a bit of a step up because obviously you can't obviously you can hear the you know the crowd noise what's going on but i think he's almost there as a kind of cheerleader that's how i always think of it you know for the person at home mm. just kind of say ramp it up and try and give the the impression of what it's like to be in the ground
1: and almost make a dreadful nil nil draw seem more exciting and try and yeah exactly <laughs> kind of... yeah
2: yeah i mean that, i think that's an interesting point because i know i can't remember who it was but someone very recently made the point that they felt that the current crop of tv commentators not not in a sort of critical way but tended to talk more about stuff that wasn't happening on the pitch. So stuff that they would sort of predetermined talked about as a talking point, whereas actually I'm, I'm a fan of that. I mean, some people have reams and reams of statistics. I do have statistics, but I don't tend to use them as essential. I don't feel the need to have to use them if I don't want to, because sometimes the game doesn't need it. And there's enough to talk about what's happening on the pitch. Particularly, again, that's the difference with radio is... You can't see it so therefore I need to sort of explain it better whereas actually a lot of the stuff at television you can see it for yourself you've watched hundreds of games anyway it's more about finding something slightly a little bit different so it's a different discipline um mm. I'm not saying one is more is
3: easier or more difficult than the other they're just different have you had to have more stuff prepared for the drinks breaks just randomly so you've suddenly got like <laughs> <No>. <laughs> an extra couple of minutes of
2: no, I think for ad. me, oh. um, it's actually quite a nice time to get a good sum up from your summariser. Um, it might be, you know, you know, what do you think of the first quarter of the game? I mean, they do generally. It's nice. I mean, I don't agree with them, but you know, they probably needed them in July. It was hot at times, but it's a good way of just summing up, you know, what's happened and and what's to come and what they need to do for the next twenty five minutes or so. Mm. So, um, but no, it doesn't really put any major ties on me. I don't think.
0: Yeah. Did you also do, am I right in saying you did some of the phone-ins, or you still do? Um, So,
2: yeah, I used to. um, So we used to, I mean, obviously resources change within, you know, BBC Local Radio all the time and personnel changes. Um, But, you know, we are are actually a a station that covers three counties in a way. Um, Most people have a sort of a presenter and then a summariser and then a commentator. You know, obviously I present as well. And in the old days, I literally used to do the phone in as well. Then we did have periods where Richie Reynolds and Mike Ward did it. Um, mm-hmm. Then I came back and did it again, and then more so now, partly because of the nature of them being in the Premier League and the access issues as well. I tend to do the post-match interviews, um, and somebody else hosts the the phone in. Um, in. In a way, you're sort of doing three different roles in one go. You're sort of you're trying to be Gary Lineker, but then you're trying to be, uh, you know, Martin Tyler, and then you're probably trying to be Adrian Durham. I mean, it's it's that um, it's, it's, it's that kind of thing, really. Or Maybe not those individuals, but those those roles, yeah. I should say. Yeah. Um, but now I sort of do the presentation two till three, commentary two till five, and then I will go and do reaction um, to provide that for the final hour when there is a phone-in. Um, of course, the trouble with phone is people tend to ring in, when things are going badly, and things have gone pretty well for the Albion over the last 10 years. So we don't, you know, it's not like it's a hotbed of moaning. Whereas actually, if I think back to when, say, just prior to when Sammy Hoopier was uh, sort of sacked, you know, we didn't have enough people to answer the phones. Um, (laughs) But these things are very different now because everyone's happy, everyone's having a beer and generally enjoying themselves and and there isn't necessarily that need. But, But we do like the fans, you know, contributions because that is what it's all about, you know, and, and we've seen, haven't we, in the last three or four months, it is not the same experience without them. Um And and I think the players appreciate that as well. You know, we in the media appreciate it because it, it makes for lively debate. Everyone's got a different view. I'm sure your group of all, all three of you have got different views about different players, the team, the manager. Oh, yes. or whatever. <laughs> um, exactly. And that's the beauty of it, isn't it? Because it's a game of opinions. There is no right answer. Um, and that's what keeps us going, you know,
1: season after season. It'd be quite a boring yeah. game if we all agreed on everything. <laughs> yeah, think so. Fun.
0: Exactly, yeah. Well, speaking of the season, uh, we're recording this on Monday, the 24th of August, and the season finally finished last night with the Champions League final by Munich triumphing for a sixth time. Uh, but going back to the domestic side of things, the Albion, all in all, um, I think can consider it a reasonably good season. They've changed manager, they've changed style, They've got, I think, more points than they've had in the previous Premier League seasons. And um, there's a lot of hope and optimism, players coming through, etc. cetera. Um, Johnny, your take on the season then? I mean, if we take it sort of, first of all, pre-lockdown uh, and then the overall sort of summary, would you, how, do you, how do you think we've done all together?
2: Well, I think it does incorporate those things, as you say, the different style, different personnel, new manager in charge, uh, different dynamic about it. Um, hmm. It may have been a little bit, Um, Because they started so well on that opening day in the glorious sunshine and a wonderful away win, maybe, you know, that sort of then what happened from January onwards seems seems, you know, like a very, very different sort of scenario. But actually, I don't think I was ever sort of panicking, really, because despite the fact they weren't winning, you know, Mm -hmm. obviously I watch every game and as I'm sure you do um, most of them. I actually, you know, they were still playing quite well. They just weren't getting the wins that, you know, there were a couple of late goals against them that, you know, denied them wins or, you know, so I I wasn't really panicky. I think just it gave them a chance to regroup. That was the thing. But whether they would have continued on like that and the trouble with the Premier League, I mean, Warren often says it, you you can't just turn it on like a tap. It doesn't work like that in the Premier League. Mm. Um, And if you get yourself in a bit of a spiral, it is quite difficult to get yourself out of that. I didn't see them in a spiral. But it was starting to, the way that the maths was going and the amount of teams that were in there, you know, taking points off each other, it looked like it could, you know, it could unravel. So actually, I think, you know, you know, obviously it, it didn't, um, but, it, but lockdown gave them the chance, I think, to probably reassess, really. But you know, I, I wouldn't say I was sort of fearful. And they are where they are, really, because, you know, I know the the club has got top 10 ambitions, but it's the third season in the Premier League. So, uh, you know, I think even Graham Potter said it himself. What do you expect? Um, and, and he's probably right. So uh, I think, strangely enough, I was, I'm was. i often put on the spot at the beginning of the season. I actually, They actually asked me where I thought they'd finished. I did say 15th, but complete by luck rather than judgment, really. But I think the seven-point gap was probably a little bit deceptive in the end. I think mm. it was probably more like a three or four-point gap from relegation, if mm. we're honest. And Norwich were on their knees, weren't they, when they got that win? Um, and and the last game of the season, maybe Burnley, who were going well, maybe run out run out of a little bit of puff in the end. So, um, but no, I think it's been a great transition season, and I think a lot of people that have said, and we've said it on our podcast, the Albion Unlimited podcast. You know, he will probably be judged as a manager and a head coach next season rather than this season. Um, I think I think that's fair.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, generally one of the biggest downsides was um, yeah, lack of finishing in a number of games. There's certainly a number of games we we could and probably should have won, already snatched a draw if we lost. Um, I suppose that's something that those players, particularly the new ones, um, will get used to and will probably become more efficient. I would think over time, especially now they've got the benefit of having another season in the prem, they can they can step on and hopefully improve. Um, overall, though, what were your what do you think are the main ups and downs of the season? aside from, should we say, losing to Palace, I guess, is one of the downs, obviously. But uh, aside from um, obvious things like that, I mean, what, what for you I mean, were I, th- I thought a
2: couple of individuals. I mean, I've talked about Dan Burns. I won't go on about him, but I thought he was very impressive. But I thought somebody who I really enjoyed watching was Stephen Alzate. Um, I still believe he wasn't really playing in the position he really wants to play in. I don't think he was playing in the position that necessarily Graham Potter wanted him to play in. But I think we saw the capability of him and his ability to keep the ball. And that's what we're seeing, this change of personnel and this change of style. You have to be able to do certain things to be able to play in that system. And I think we're gradually seeing the ones who can't disappear and him bringing in the ones that he believes can do that. And that's why I think he was given, Stephen was given that opportunity because he felt that that's what he could do. Um, I think Aaron Connolly is a little bit different because he's a striker and you know, it doesn't not in that same way, but that's why they wanted Adam Webster. You know, that's why Graham Potter tried to sign Ben White at Swansea. That's why he gave Stephen Alzate a chance to go on pre-season, and I think that's that's something because it's enjoyable to watch. I know, I'm not saying that Chris Hutton's side wasn't because people I think are quite critical of the style of football. But I I don't see anybody who didn't enjoy some of those wins over Palace when they were playing and some of the goals that they scored Mm -hmm. and and that championship season and how good they were. You know, I think the championship was one of the best teams in the championship for the last sort of six or seven years, to be honest, the way that they were playing. Um, But it's different. And I think that's the thing, the the way that it's emerged, the the style of play. I think there's still a long way to go. Taking up your point about finishing... My only concern, if I was talking about downsides, would be the quality of those in, those opportunities. They may start to take more of a, of those opportunities, for, for me, they're not glaring opportunities. They're a bit like two third opportunities. You know, they're not gilt edged. They're not. You know, if they were missing those, then I'd be, you'd say fine, absolutely, they will score a hatful. I'm I'm not sure that the quality of the chances is good enough because you know, it becomes more difficult. You've got better keepers, better defenders. And for all the, you know, Aaron Connolly will get better or younger players will get better, other defenders will learn more about them as well. So, you know, it works both ways. So um, I would like to see them create more, more better opportunities if that makes any sense
1: Yeah, yeah I agree with that it wasn't it, it was simplicity to say it was just down to missing chances because we, we, often it was the final ball the final cross was in the wrong place or the, I'm hoping that Lana will make a difference with that and if McAllister mm. starts to progress as well and Trossard was better after lockdown I thought as well so if they can if those three all kind of improve us then if they get better or whatever then hopefully that will make a difference there. Yeah,
2: Peter, I think you're absolutely right. And that's why at first I was a little bit surprised by the Lalana signing, because it didn't feel like an an Albion signing, if that makes any Agreed. sense. Yeah. But when you look at it, it maybe just felt they needed someone with that Premier League quality, with that experience, who's played at the top level, not just yeah. you know, right at the top level. And that might help the others as well. And 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 so it does make a lot of sense. Because again, when I talk about statistics in commentary Again, statistics in, when you just look at it, I mean, there's some amazing analytics about every team and every division, isn't there? Now, you, but I think you can get a little bit lost in it. And I know you've got XG and you've got the quality of those chances. I would just love to see a little bit more of that because in open play, the build-up can be wonderful, but sometimes it just lets them down. And I feel like it, the move deserves a better opportunity. Yeah. And also... You know, they are serious. I've been banging on it probably about it for three years. They are a serious threat from set pieces. Do not score enough goals from set pieces for for the chances they have. Now, then they do have really good opportunities in front of goal, but they just don't take them. Because I think about how many headers and how many times I've commentated, you know, the ball just goes wide, it just goes over the bar, he just got underneath Mm. it, you know, it just got blocked. And you're sort of thinking, you know, you could be absolute. You could be like kings of the Premier League in terms. of... Well, second. there
3: was was it was Palace at home, was it? Dunk headed it straight against Morpé, Was it? Yeah, but yeah. It's, I mean, it's just anywhere else, inches either way, <laughs> and it's in, isn't it?
2: Yeah, but it's yeah. a really good thing going forward because you think, you know, you've got all that. I know Joel Velton's not really the tallest, is he? But you know, Webster, uh, Dunk, um, Burn, you know, they're, they're all a threat in there. So that that helps, I think, to give them another. Um, string to their bow, which, which you do need in the Premier League when you're competing at the level that Albion are.
1: Yeah, six foot seven. It's surprising that Dan Byrne has played so many games this season without scoring. I know he had one, was unlucky, had one little out, but he's not I really... VAR, wasn't yeah. yeah, but he's not He's not really got come that close either, from memory. I don't even remember him.
2: No, not not. I mean Webster's probably, you know, I chatted to him and joked yeah. about it ahead of the last game of the season because he's never scored more than three goals and he did manage to he didn't manage to get more than three uh, this season. But I I think the problem with Byrne is he's been sort of more focused on playing that left wing back role. And and who knows next season, if Duffy does end up leaving, you know, do they play with a three? Veltman likes to play on the right-hand side of a three. That means that Lamptey can be further forward and play as more of a wing back in a three. But then they don't have a left back really to do that sort of job. And then Byrne could burn Dunk and Webster, Veltman or... Does Byrne stay out wide, and then you have the other three in there? And t- but he's got a couple of options, has not he, to tr- to try it out? Mm. So that that that's quite exciting. Um, so and and you know we've seen it, haven't we? That flexibility, not just going into games. I mean, I used to be able to pretty much predict what Chris Euton would decide he was going to sort of pick. You certainly can't do that now. No, um, no.
1: it. has sure. gone from one extreme to the other, hasn't it? It's going to gone from ne- never the same team, or gone from always the same to never the same. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's, um, but that's good for me because it means the opposition can't really totally predict what team's going to play. I mean, one minute Stevens looks like he's out of favour and never coming back. Then he's suddenly the linchpin of the midfield. Pascal Gros isn't featuring. He doesn't. He's no not even coming on as a sub. Next minute he's starting. It um, he keeps everyone on their toes. But what I would say in terms of the attacking threat, I do sort of feel at some stage he may need to nail his colours to the mast and and who is he going to back to be the creative threat? Lallana, yes. McAllister, you feel there is a bit more to come from him. I mean, he said he's been a bit surprised by how fast the Premier League is. But if he gets up to speed, he's certainly got the, the talent. But where does that leave? You know, Trossard seems to be favoured, but then sometimes away from home doesn't always manage to dominate and um, have an impact. Gross, though, he's quite dependable. He's probably the best of a bunch in terms of set pieces so yeah you know, it's it's yeah he's got again he's got options but mm. I'm not sure they're all going to fit into that squad are they especially if you know we head back to three uh uh get rid of the uh back to three subs in a smaller squad yeah, yeah.
1: also how many the... how many games is Alana going to play is he going to be able to play it 90 minutes every game or is he going to be used maybe sometimes yeah, no. as an impact sub maybe sometimes
0: for an hour and then taken off and yeah, I mean, we might have to use him sparingly. And I think his influence off the pitch is going to be one of the key factors there. Um, in If he can help us to, to quell the issues that we do have with, as you said, Johnny, with opening up the door, um, there's a bit of hesitancy, a little bit of lack of conviction sometimes amongst the creative midfield areas. I, I mean, Trossard has scored five goals and got three assists this season, which is great. But... You want players in his position if they're getting regular starts. Yeah. At least. Trossard, for me, is a
3: bit like he's a bit like Knockart in that quite early on in an mm. appearance, you can know whether he's going to have a great game or a fairly yeah. average game based on his first yeah. few interactions yeah, with absolutely. the
0: ball. But if, if Lalana can influence the likes of McAllister, Trossard, who's still quite young himself, isn't he, and Alzate, as we we flagged up just now. I think that, that could be one of the keys, maybe, for us stepping on this season. Yeah.
1: I think my really, for I'm looking forward to seeing this season, hopefully we'll get to see it, is um, the prospect of Alzate and Bissouma playing together in central midfield, because they mm. be, they'll be a very exciting pair. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I, and and i throw another one into the mix. Could Ben White play in midfield?
1: Um, yeah. You know, if they, you know, two those
2: centre backs. We didn't even mention Ben White. So, but if yeah. it looks like he's going to stay, I'm not saying he will. But if he did, could he be the defensive midfielder to mm. challenge Dale Stevens's current role? And but I think the one thing about Besoum is, I mean, he's inconsistent, but his energy. There isn't anyone else like him in the side, really. Yeah. Um, and and you know, what I did at times feel like the squad was a little bit one-paced. Um, yeah. You know, with the likes of Moy and Gross and Stevens, and I'm not saying they're not good players. I'm just, and in you, at times you needed someone with that just that little bit extra, and that's what Besumar exactly. seems to, to have given him. And if he can be, if all that focus can go in the in, channeled in the right way, then you know, yeah. and, and added to the sort of the link-up play from Steven Alzati, I think you're right. That might that might be because it. it's about partnerships. I mean, it doesn't matter what level. When I've commentated, whether it's, you know. Conference South, or whether it's the Premier League, you always talk about partnerships on a pitch. You know, whether it's you know whether it is a knockout and a Bruno, whether it, you know, I mean, I don't know. Go back to the the, the days back with your Brian Hortons and your you know, Peter Ward's up front. I don't think there must have been lots of relationships and partnerships that made things happen, and and it's finding those. I mean, oh yeah, definitely. Kai Allen Stevens, maybe you know, is it more recently? Is yep. another one that seems Duncan, to work.
1: Duncan Duffy for
3: quite a few. Duffy. Recently. I suppose we had what, Carpenter and Oakway back in the yeah. 15 <laughs> glory days.
2: Yeah. I had I had, a, I had the, Bobby Zamora and and you know people like Watson and Rogers swinging the ball in for him. Yeah? You know Watto with his yeah. you know with his free kicks. You know there's yeah all. Oh, Glenn, well, I don't know whether Glenn's actually had any particular partnerships, really. But
1: you played so, quite well with Bulldog together for when, when Bulldog was fit in the promotion yeah, season. That's true. They had a good, good partnership. But yeah, they you
3: played was... well with Barnes Barnes in League One, didn't they? So. Hmm.
0: You're, you're absolutely right, there, Johnny. Partnerships is a big thing. I was lucky enough to have a long chat in a pre season one time with Chris Houghton um, for about 20 minutes in the season where we missed out to Middlesbrough, um, unfortunately, in the end. But he was. Very excited about uh, the partnerships. That was the exact word he used. He says the partnerships, there's pairings all over the pitch, which are already coming together really quickly and really well, which gave me sort of like a hidden insight into how well the season was likely to go. And it, it did go very well. In the end, we missed out. Thankfully, we got it the following year. But But ultimately, we'd started to set the ball rolling that season uh, based on what you've just said, partnership. So because
2: certainly you, Yeah, I, I think you're right. And if you go back, go with historical whatever, you know, when they missed out on promotion back into the 70s and then eventually did get up, they, they really believed, you know, whether it's Mullery saying, we will go up next season, because he knew, because he, he, he knew what squad he had. He had seen all the opposition for a season. They just missed out, but he knew that we're going to do it now. If I keep these players, I'll do it. And I think Chris Hewton yeah. felt the same. If I can keep... And, and that's something which Albion have always been very good at keeping their best players. You know, Burnley wanted Dale Stevens, didn't they? He, mm. he, they kept him. So many times approaches have been made, but Tony Bloom's been insistent about keeping it. And that's why, you know, hopefully the Albion will be able to keep this group. And you know, I think Duncan Webster have formed quite a decent partnership. Someone, yeah. if someone does replace Shane Duffy, someone else needs to create those partnerships. And that is probably the truer, we'll probably talk about the next season, but it's, that's probably a truer insight into what might happen the next season than anything,
3: really. Mm. Yeah, it's, mm. it's a very interesting point about not selling best players because we were talking about this the other day. I think you've got to go back to probably Leo Ojoa going to Leicester for the last mm. time. The Albion had to sell a player not on their terms, as it were. Because um, obviously Knockart has got went, but that was very much, oh, yeah. from the outside seemed to be the club moving him on rather than the other way around so say we've got to go back and i think it's going to carry on this season
1: as well obviously there was talk of dunk going there was talk of white going but it looks like we're going to keep both of them and it's going to be like the players like duffy like Montoya, from the sound of it today who maybe aren't going to get the games that are going to be ones who are sold and not the ones anyone who's like first choice
0: yeah yeah and yeah i mean speaking of well we since we were last on air Lewis has, of course, signed his five-year deal. There was a lot of rumours about him going to Chelsea, not for the first time, uh, but he signed a five-year deal. Um, I think he was joking on uh, somewhere about, oh, I think it was Paul Camlin actually on Albion Raw, was saying, uh, you know, he's, he signed more extensions than anyone else probably in the club's history. Um, but he's, you know, if he, if he sticks to, to this, he would have had 15 seasons in the first team. He's already been with us 10 years, I think now, um, in terms of the first team. Um, so, brilliant news, obviously. There, it's one of the first steps. We've we've obviously signed Adam Lalana, Joel Veltman, and some players for the youth as well. Um, what, firstly, how are you pleased with that so far, Johnny? With what we've done, we've obviously got some renewals as well for the younger lads, like uh, Conley and Alzate. Um, so, lots of good things there. Ideally, I guess we get White onto a longer deal. But um, beyond that, what are we looking for, and how are we doing so far? Do you think?
2: yeah i think it's, it's so far so good really isn't it you're tying your captain down to a longer term deal um you've got a couple of youngsters who other people might be looking at so you think right let's let's secure them for a longer period so you, that doesn't mean that people won't go it just means they've got a longer contract so you're protecting your assets so that's a good thing um i think you know Beltman looks like a snip at the price they got him for um and fits very much into the way that they want to play so you Know they generally do a lot of business early, then there's a bit of a lull, and then they come they go for it at the end with maybe a few more opportunistic deals. Um, but again, you've secured, you've you know, fended off any interest that from players that you don't want. You've managed to, I mean, it's offloading players is important as well because, especially with everything with the finances changing so much with lockdown, you know, mm-hmm. they, they're going to lose a lot more money than they expected. So, therefore, you know, Bong has gone, Balogun has gone, Kyle has gone. You know, you do have to shift people on and there probably needs to be another one or two to go before they can just yeah. absolutely secure the probably two more key signings that they need. I mean, a lot of talk about Jahan Mach, um, you know, and where his future lies. It Maybe it didn't work out. Maybe he needs to move on. Um, but you just never know. With Grand Potter might say, look, I see him in training every week and he's doing enough for me to stay there. But yeah. the, the key issues, yes, a left back, I'm sure Byrne could still do that job, but... A naturally left sided player, Solly March and Bernardo are useful players because they can play in a multitude of positions, but they're yeah. not natural left backs or left wing backs, so I think that's something that they must be looking at and it's the striking situation i'm sure Glenn Murray does not want to be sitting on the bench for another season he's potentially his last in the Premier League you know he might he just I'm sure he just wants to play football wherever that may be, whether it's on loan or 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 whatever um so, but I can't naturally see him doing it at the Albion, so therefore, you know, there needs to be another option. And Aaron, you know, yeah. obviously bursts onto the scene with those two goals, but you know, one was a tap in when the keeper makes a mistake, wasn't it? So, yeah. um, and I'm not saying he hasn't played well and that there isn't more to come, but they probably need somebody with a little bit more experience. Um, but that costs money at the moment, but yeah. and I don't think Tony Bloom will throw good money after bad. But those are the two key areas. I think probably they'll be looking to strengthen.
1: Yeah, um, I agree. I, I think that striker will define our season, arguably, because of what we said about you know the chances and if we can create more chances with the, the better creative players we've got, we need another player alongside Malpay who's going to take them. And I mean, even if we yeah. didn't get a left wing back, if we got a striker who would turn out to be a good signing, I think we'd be a, we'd be okay.
2: Because one yeah, thing last season and we're reflecting as well, but is Alvin weren't really badly affected by injuries last season, were they? No. Um, oh, no, there
1: was a couple of periods. wasn't there. Dan Byrne was out for a
2: bit. Adam Webster had a bit of a timeout. Um, I'm
1: just trying to think of other people. You I know, but if you're including him, Miskiedo is a massive. I mean, they're paying him still. It's a yes, massive blow. Yes. I mean, in terms yeah. of what he could. But then, is he ever going to come back the way he was? That's the thing now, isn't it? It's kind of
2: it's unlikely, isn't it? Um, so, but, but sorry, yeah. So that's probably one I didn't really talk about, but. Uh, in terms of other injuries to key
3: players i were playing was out weekend,
2: bit, where, think, yeah, but they wouldn't really have any major sort of, you know. And of course, something. If something, I always say, yeah, yeah you. Know, when we were going through that period, they, well, if something happens to Neil Mope, take his ten goals out of the season. Yeah. What are you left with? You know, own goals and Leandro Trossard.
1: Yeah, and similarly, I think at the other end, if Dunkey got injured, we'd be in a bit of trouble. Maybe not so much if if White's as good as he sounds like he's going to be this season. This, but last season, certainly, I think if we'd had Duffy and Webster in the defence for more than like a, for a month or two or something, like that, we might have struggled a bit more.
2: I mean, it was actually quite useful that Dunkey didn't pick up a 10th
1: yellow card. Yeah. He was
2: walking a tightrope for a long period there. And, and, and that, would, that would have been a huge blow, I think, going into some mm. of those
3: key games towards the
1: end. Yeah, especially, yeah. especially if we missed him for the Norwich game, which was obviously <laughs> the one we had to win kind of probably.
3: and i think especially considering the run in those games where he was on a tightrope with the games where he was going to be doing a lot more defending and he was going to be you know having to put his body on the line and make tackles in areas that he might not be comfortable doing so on nine bookings so we were a bit lucky but oh well
0: yeah that was all obviously centered around project restart Uh, johnny i'm conscious you've got to go in a moment we've got to let you go but just just quickly before we do um the situation with COVID, lockdown, the restart, obviously unique and rather extraordinary times. Um, how was it for you as, as the BBC as commentator um, going into the Amex? Cause are we going to get AD from the Albion Roar on in a forthcoming episode? And he's already said something on his podcast about how um, it's rather odd. They're in the West Upper where they were and having to do the, um, get, getting the, the press pass up there. I mean, where were you in location in the stadium was at the normal position and what I mean how difficult was it to do your job in those unusual circumstances when the restart occurred? Uh,
2: Well I was in a very similar position I wasn't quite in the same seats because we were socially distancing but in a very similar situation Um, I think we talked about the atmosphere obviously being completely different Um, it, it was a bit odd having Commentating with um, Ole Gunnar Solskar about three metres away from me um, and, and, not, and being conscious of the fact that he could hear every single word. And actually, when we did the, the post match uh, conference after the first game back, um, and actually, Graham Potter, I said to him, you know, what was different about it than you maybe expected about behind closed doors? And he said, the first thing he said was, the strangest thing was having to, was being able to hear the radio commentators just behind me. So, um, and obviously there was a few of us. So, um, but uh, yeah, so it's a bit weird for them as well as us to a certain degree. But um no, I think the club have been brilliant. And in terms of covering the club, everyone said, oh, what are you going to do with yourself? There's no live sport. Well, actually, there was more talk about live sports than there is normally is because it was should they come back when will they come back how will they come back will fans be allowed where will they play the games neutral venues what's the financial impact there are so many different elements to this so actually i was able to sort of keep that dialogue going with the fans hopefully i did do more features obviously and i spoke to a lot of ex-players talk about their time um which was quite challenging because obviously we weren't allowed into studios at the time so but catching up with the you know mm. those people for the podcast was, was really nice and and maybe having a chance to just step back slightly for me it's one of those things I love doing because I like having long conversations with people because now in the Premier League you don't tend to be offered that mm. um, whereas years gone by in the days when I used to be able to pick players in a car park and say do you fancy chatting to me this week that's how it used to work it doesn't work like that anymore so it is a bit different so there are challenges but the club have been excellent I think they've got quite rightly, the plaudits for being really good with their communication over that period, to, to the fans doing Q&As for you guys, um, also speaking to us, it was a different guest every week but to be able to speak to an owner in Australia, in the middle of lockdown in between Premier League meetings doesn't happen very often and it doesn't happen in many clubs so I think Alvin are very lucky to have a chairman like that, the chief executive prepared to stump up every single week um, and also players, I mean I spoke to Neil Mope. I spoke to Leandro Trossard when he was in Belgium um, you know so the access was really really good I can't complain at all and I was able to do that my role did change slightly so I did a lot more work towards other programs news items but as I mentioned right at the beginning I am a news trained journalist with a master's in in journalism so I'm quite able to do that last week I was presenting an evening show you know Again, back to what I was saying, you know, right at the beginning, people said you need to be able to do everything. You can't just be a one trick pony. Um, And a lot of my colleagues who unfortunately are freelancers have been in a very, very difficult position because they're literally have not had a single day's work until football returned. And, you know, they might have been working at the Olympics, gone. Working at the the hundred competition with cricket, gone. You know, so it's a very, very difficult time. I know everybody in, you know, in, in all sorts of sector, sectors has had problems but uh, in my sector that was um difficult for them um and i've had different challenges but actually sometimes it's quite refreshing and i and i have been able to still continue to to do stuff on the
0: albion Hmm, fantastic well johnny we've only got about two and a half weeks till the premier league starts again so i'm sure we'll be hearing your dulcet tones very soon Um, good in the meantime, um, thank you very much indeed for joining us. It's been a pleasure. pleasure. Yeah, thanks very much. Yeah. We'd love to have you back on at some point and also up at Seagulls Over London for another, uh, another guest appearance. You'd be very welcome at any point, I'm sure.
2: I'd be more than happy to come up, guys, and uh, maybe we'll have a half-term report perhaps and I can rejoin you and we could talk about, uh, uh, or, or maybe once the um, transfer window has finished and we can yeah. assess yeah. that as well. But no,
0: it's lovely, lovely to see
2: you guys and uh, keep yeah, up the good do. work.
0: Cheers! Brilliant. That
1: sounds brilliant. All Thank the you best. very much. Cheers. Cheers. Hello. Welcome back to part two of Brighton Rock. Still here as uh, myself, Peter, uh, Russell, and hey. Um, Robin. Hey, guys. Hi. What, Hi. Do you guys uh, what do you guys think of that? That was a really interesting, I thought, Johnny Hunter. Yeah. yeah, very good. Yeah, very very good.
3: Um,
0: yeah, he's a very good
3: value, isn't he? Robert? He is very good value. Um, yeah, I mean, interesting to hear about his career. So, same as Russ, I hadn't really. see so there wasn't really, wouldn't really been much cause to know much about his career um, beforehand. Mm. But obviously, you know, the fairly, fairly well trodden sort of, uh, you know, very uber local career starting out at the bottom. And I mean, I, he didn't really, he didn't really say it, but it must be as a kind of from a career point of view, to have made it all the way from non-league to the Premier League, you know, as a as a commentator, is a is a pretty good effort, isn't it?
1: Yeah, you don't really yeah. think of that sort of thing when you talk about, like, footballers, you know, footballers doing it, managers doing it. But actually, yeah, for a commentator of a of a team, must be a huge thing as well. I mean, it, he must have had yeah. a different We actually didn't ask about it, but maybe next time. But it must have been a huge difference to his job with the Premier League. He touched on it briefly in terms of, like, the mm. not presenting this and that sort of thing. But... Yeah,
3: and I suppose access, like you were saying, access to players or yeah. or not having access to players, whichever way you want to look mm-hmm.
1: at it. There probably wasn't a huge amount of competition for that like in the Wibdin days. No, I wouldn't have thought so.
0: Yeah, and yeah, you know, he was very, the... very good value. Yeah, I was going to say even the phoning in thing. I mean, that that's quite tough. I think that sort of thing. Um... Yeah,
3: I was going to bring up the. I was going to bring up that he obviously missed out doing it in the Ian Hart days, where they had Mark McCammon phoning in and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. all of that <laughs> stuff.
0: Supermarket market trolley, lovely. Can you
3: imagine, like, imagining a phone in now and Glenn Murray decides to phone in or whatever, but.
0: Uh, brilliant. Anyway, <laughs> well, it was very anyway, good. Yeah. Well, one thing um, we didn't get a chance to ask him was about his player of the season. We are going to announce our player of the season, the Brighton Rock podcast announcement. Big, big announcement coming up in a moment. We did mention about Lewis Dunk earlier on and um, he did have a knowing nod and smile, um, which you wouldn't have seen obviously in audio. Um, listeners, but um, he, it, it seemed to imply he would have chosen Lewis Dunk. We can check and confirm that later on, perhaps. Um, I do. I did vote for Lewis Dunk. Um, Peter, if I'm remembering correctly, you did as well. I did. Um, yeah. And Robin, I think you went for more pay, didn't you? I uh,
3: can't remember.
0: Probably. Yeah. I, think I, what, yeah, <laughs> I think I went Morepay.
3: Yeah. I think I went Morepay then Dunk in second. Yeah. Um, I think it's because I just. I take Dunky for granted a little bit, mm. I think. Well, that's the thing. I, I just always that... as, just assume he's going to be brilliant. So I'm just sort of like, if he's if he
1: has a brilliant season,
3: I just think, well, that's just Dunky, isn't but it? But
1: I think that's so... in a way why he deserved it more than you know, because he'd never won it before. Which, yeah. considering the, the, how he's played over the last five seasons, is you know, probably shocking. But there's you know, there's been always been someone above him, like Shane Duffy last year was so good and got all those goals as well. And mm. Pascal Grosh the first season, and you feel Dunky's always been second, maybe, or whatever, but never quite so.
0: Yeah, well, I'm very glad it he won
1: the, the Al- Man. I was very, very glad he won the Albion award. I mean,
0: he, it's the first time he's won it, which seems bizarre. Yeah. Um, again, mentioning Paul Camelin on his uh, interview on Albion Raw uh, this week, which was really good actually. It's very insightful. A couple of things. One was quite interesting was he was talking about the photographers um, taking pictures of Lino when he was injured in the Arsenal game. Apparently, the Arsenal fans were shooting daggers at the photographer for taking the photos because, uh, of course, there was hardly any sound. So you could hear the shutter going, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, but the other thing that he mentioned was, in his opinion, Dunk, um, getting the subject back to that, has been improving year on year, in his opinion. Would you would you agree with that overall? I mean, it seems so, doesn't it? Um, obviously, he's going up a couple of levels as, as time's gone on as well. Um, it seems so.
3: I think he's... I think he stepped up immediately that we got to the Premier League. Mm. Um, and I think, to be honest, I think he's been at that level ever since we got promoted, to be honest. I mean, if you look at the the bit of his game which has really come along in the last few years is his range of passing.
0: Mm.
3: I mean, yeah. you look at it, defensively, as long as you can be, I can remember him being in the team, he's always been, you know, throwing, his, he's always been that player that always seems to be in the right place to throw a block in. He's, you know, he's great in the air, he's reading the game. I think all of that kind of defensive, you know, basics, if you want to call it that, have always been there. But I think what we've seen recently is, one, the leadership, I guess, you know, with Bruno gone and he stepped in, I think we have seen, not that he wasn't vocal on the pitch before, but I think we've really seen him step into that role really well. But it's his mm. range of passing. Mm. And I think his confidence to on the ball, which is naturally only going to happen the more you play in the Premier League and you realise you've got the quality and the confidence Mm. to actually bring the ball out. And I suppose that comes from Graham Potter, probably, Mm. you know, accepting the fact that maybe you are going to make a mistake a couple of times and it might put the team in a difficult position. But actually the the flip side of that is eight times out of 10, it it might actually lead to something positive in attack. And I think what I'd I'd ally it to as I think in a non-football point is how the England one-day cricket team play and the way they bat, which is that you go out and they're almost given the licence just to go and mm. try and score as many runs as possible. And, you know, a couple of times that's going to involve getting naught, but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't then go and do it the next game. So yeah. I think it's probably the atmosphere has created... The, the culture at the club has probably given him the licence to do that. But I know that's a very long-winded way of basically saying, I think he's been brilliant since we got promoted.
1: Yeah, and I, I agree with you there. But I, the one, I do think he has improved this year in the way... Weirdly, he's had to improve the stand still in a way because of the way we played this season. We've been more open, so they have mm. been exposed more than they were probably under you know under Chris Hughton when we were a lot more solid and played like deeper. And yeah. I think yeah. he's had to improve to then... I mean, our defence record was better than either, either Premier League season this season, which, considering the way we play played compared to previously, is actually quite... You know, yeah. Brilliant really
0: I'd go along with that and I mean he's still been able to get as, as um, Johnny mentioned he's still kept amongst the goals to the same level he scored three and had three assists actually um so he's still doing that side of the game as you said he's had a really good point he's having to adapt to a style that maybe leave could potentially leave us more open uh, and yet he's managed it and I think in these premier league years it's been really interesting it must be like floating a bit on air to to realize yeah I can actually hold my own at this level and as Robin said, there, you know, if you if you realise that, and you can do it over a few games, and start to really build the confidence, and then obviously over months, um, then you know, you, then you've made it as far as your overall breakthrough is, uh, the breakthrough ambition is to get in the prem and and just become part of the Premier League furniture, which I think he is. People know his name. Mm. Um, yeah. He's a familiar face. Yes, you can argue about England. He should be. Involved more, and that's not not his fault that he hasn't been.
1: Given England's yeah. quality of ten to half, so I think it's ridiculous that Southgate has not yeah. like picked him a lot. more.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you I can think
1: players like Mings and Keane and you know, who are getting. so, Well, I know Keane's dropped out a bit now, but it's like Dunk is so much yeah. better than both of those. I know.
3: From it's a true. selfish point of view, it's always nice that he gets those couple of weeks off over of the international break. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but well, an yeah, yeah, upside. Yeah, especially in this coming season where there's going to be yeah. basically no breaks for anyone. But I think it is the captaincy element this season is probably the difference as well. He really seems to have sort of taken to it.
0: Yeah. And he's, although, you know, traditionally uh, speaking historically, he was a Chelsea fan growing up as a lad. Most people of his age were really in, in Sussex, unfortunately, because things were on such a downer, you know, we talk about the wider population and, um, but he is a Brighton boy. He's born and bred, yeah. uh, got lot of strong ties to the area from way back. Um, he has ended up being a testimonial length kind of player for us. He's become our captain. Um, according to Paul Camelin's recent interview, he's always loved it at the Albion. He's never made a fuss. He's never um, angled for a move, according to Paul. And um, he's become a long-term... There was
3: the one Fulham team. game, wasn't there?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think there was that. I'm
3: not really... Yeah. Obviously, they've never really talked about the circumstances around that. Um, yeah,
0: there may have been but some that's, peripheral Oh uh, Yeah,
3: that's a gra- I think it's a grey area. But, I mean, the bottom line is to have played... 300-plus games before you're 30, of which Mm. 110 of them have been in the Premier League, is no mean feat, really.
0: And I mean, if he fulfills his five years and maybe possibly even just does one more year as in a cameo role, he might just about be able to push the appearance record, I think, the all-time appearance record. It's unlikely, I think, looking at it. Um, He should. I mean, what's the the top flight
3: appearance
1: record? Has he already got that? Has Uh, Matt Ryan got that?
0: Yeah. I'm not sure, actually. Yeah, it must be. Um,
1: was anyone with well, us all four seasons in the. In the
3: yeah, that's what I was trying time. to work out. So. How many games a season
1: was it then as well?
3: It went down as Yeah, it's
0: yeah, it 22 teams, wasn't it? So it was 42 games. 42. So the yeah.
3: maximum, yeah. So I mean, this season, Matt Ryan is going to be probably getting close to it, mm. isn't he? Anyway,
0: yeah. he, he did have that Asian Cup thing, didn't he, for a bit. That wasn't yeah, so long.
3: Dunkey or Matt Ryan will probably. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well. Player of the anyway. season, then, let's announce it. You're probably already guessing from the amount of conversations we've had about it. Adam <laughs> Webster. <laughs> <laughs> the player of the season is... Is, is No, it's, um, it's uh, Lewis Dunk. Yeah. He had an overall total of 76% of the vote from all voters, which is from a, a large scale of WhatsApp um, mates that we've got together and podcast listeners aside from them. Uh, 76% of the vote... The other 24% all went to Neil Morpane for his contributions. He was our top scorer with 10 goals. Does so
1: that mean three. no one came third?
0: No one came third as such. I only or, every, or everyone
1: two. came equal third. <laughs> yeah.
0: The WhatsApp guys, we, we, we did a whole thing with first, second and third and have a, a point scored, three, two and one. Um, but in terms of this, I've just gone for first choices from everyone. I think everyone. it was from WhatsApp,
3: I think it was Matt Ryan probably. Yeah, end, wasn't it? I, 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 put, I put it.
0: Matt Ryan was third, yeah. And Dan Byrne, I think, was up there as well, somewhere very yeah. close to it. So, I didn't know that's yeah. exactly
1: how I voted on the What's That Group dunk Mal, Yeah, I wrote. You Ryan. did, yeah,
0: that's right. It was, the, it, was the, um, it was the definitive order, Peter. Well done, sir. You might <laughs> um, as well just stop at my vote, really, after yeah. left it at that. Don't ask anyone else, you <laughs> don't need to. Um, well, I mean, amongst the voters, I mean, I went for dunk, as I said. Raymond, the gent, friend of the show, uh, he went for dunk. So did Andy Bass, uh, a listener who uh, joined us on our recent episode. Um, Spencer Vignus who's also been on the show, writer and journalist, he went for Lewis, and so did the Albion Raw, or at least they did according to their Twitter, and somebody called Northstand Seagull on Twitter did the same. Um, Allison, another friend of the show, went for more and um, Andy fun. Knott, a contributor uh, to a few of our episodes earlier this season, went for Dunk. I thought it was a secret ballot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. We're, we're, we're outing everyone here. Uh, Tipsy, Tim Palmer, another listener to the show, went for Warpay. His mate Duncan, Duncan Lees, went for Dunk. But well, he had to with his first name, didn't he? Dunk going for Dunk. Um, and amongst others, uh, Alistair from Manchester, who we've also had on the show, went for Dunk as well. So And Nick as well from Manchester, he went for Dunk. So, it was, a, yeah, it was an overwhelming vote in the end. Josh as well from uh, the Together podcast, amongst those others and ash as well my mate bradders he went for more pay which is interesting so that's some of the votes we had um
3: <laughs> made all more sensible pay. people all very very <laughs> sensible people exactly um,
0: <laughs> we also had an email from another friend of the show listener and one time uh, guest as well richard holberton he gave quite a lot of um, information he said first up congrats on getting past 50 editions this is Just uh, we passed 50 when he sent it in, Um, of the podcast, he said, a fine achievement and always a good listen, especially during the long days of lockdown. Keep up the good work. He said, thinking about player of the season got me thinking about other highlights, lowlights, quirky moments of the season almost over. Feel free to broadcast, disagree, burn as you see fit. So I think we'll broadcast. Here goes. Um, Player of the season, he went for Lewis Dunk. He said, couldn't really be anyone else. He's been a rock. Goal of the season, he went for Lewis Dunk again versus Arsenal. Scrambled home from a yard out and probably won't make the highlights DVD, but priceless in context. Mm, <laughs> um, burn that one. It's Jahambach, <laughs> isn't it? So. Um, the Oh My God Did That Just Happen award he's given to Alireza Jahambach's goal versus Chelsea. Open mouth, wonderment all round and Ryan Save versus Southampton uh, the same. Yep. Uh, I'd agree with both of those, actually. I was going to mention Jahambach. As one of my big ups of the season, Um, rookie of the year. He's gone for Tariq Lamptey, lightning fast, strong, brave, and only five foot four. I go for Alzate for that. (laughs) Alzate. Yeah, I go for Alzate. Yeah,
3: I think if Lamptey had been been there the whole season, then absolutely. But I think, and he did make a massive impact in how many half a dozen games. But uh, yeah, Yeah. I think Alzate.
1: I think because he was injured for a while. He was injured after lockdown and before that he had a bit of a knock. Yeah. It's easy to forget how good Alzate was that, that first half of the season.
3: Yeah, particularly I mean, Newcastle away, wasn't he? He was brilliant yeah. in that game.
1: He ca- he, well, he came in having been only ever on loan at Swindon. I mean, it wasn't an obvious mm. kind of... He wasn't one of the no. obvious ones who was going to come through. He'd probably sit for the loan. And he came no, from I nowhere th- and looked comfortable immediately.
3: Yeah, I mean, I thought in pre-season, I thought he was one of these ones that, you know, Matt Houghton did the same. You He know, brings some of the, the younger guys mm. through to be involved with the first team in pre-season. And I thought well, we might see a kind of Ben White style. He'd be off to League One or pe- perhaps the Championship for a loan. Um, and that may, I suppose that may well have been that may well have been the pathway. And then he came into the training and um, and you know obviously Graham Potter yeah. probably saw something a bit more um, first team sort of ready about him. I suppose.
0: Well, Richard, I'm very disappointed you didn't give. Um... Us three Rookies of the Year awards as jointly because we only started in January. Uh, but uh, anyway, <laughs> um, on the Beach Too Early award, he's gone for Davy Proper. Where's he gone? <laughs> uh, fair enough. He did fall off and went well off the boil, didn't he? Hopefully he'll come back stronger next year. Within Sight of Greatness award, he's gone Leandro Trossard. Maddening, talent to burn and occasionally brilliant. More, please. And Cameo of the Year... Again, um, this could have been Johnny, couldn't it? Just now, maybe he, he could have been on there. Uh, he's gone for Glen Murray versus Southampton. Mostly invisible since lockdown, but he got the nod and contributed a nod. So um, I'd <laughs> go Glen Murray
3: against West Ham as well. Yeah, as well.
0: yeah. I mean, crucial that because well, we didn't know at the time whether or not it would be West Ham that might be battling at the bottom. They they didn't go too far away from getting into trouble. Yeah. that yeah. could have been could have been crucial. It if does a
1: long unbeaten run away from home as well. Yeah, yeah. It did.
0: Yeah. Um,
3: I think the only one of those answers that I would probably not disagree with, but I would have an alternative is for the Leandro Trussell answer, I'd probably counter it with Basuma. Mm. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. As that's the true. slight... I
3: know we've seen him post-lockdown, we've seen him become less of an enigma and more of a... And
0: slightly sort of before lockdown as well. Hey, yeah, Wolves Ruff, as well, didn't he? Yeah. Wolves and, and Sheffield, Sheffield United. Like, yeah, he had two really both good both games.
3: games. Yeah. Um, so I think Basuma's is probably the one who...
0: Yeah.
3: There is a... Yeah, re- I, I mean... He is. If you look at anyone, on, if you take take Lewis Dunk out, if there's any player right now who has got a realistic shot of playing for a top six club in the near future, it would be Basuma, I think. If yeah, I he's
1: say. got everything you need, doesn't he? He's he's quick. Yeah. He's skillful. He can get stuck in. He's you know he's he's basically he's the not perfect afraid box to field. He's yeah. got yeah. bags of tricks. It's I mean, maybe a shooting accuracy he, he, a he might scoop. improve. Yeah, yeah, that's
3: it. Um, but I think Basuma, he's the one
1: who's not...
3: I mean, he, I say it's become a lot less frustrating, but he was the one who was an, frustrating because
1: he knew that there yeah. was a really, yeah. really good player in there. Well, as yeah. I said earlier, the idea of him and Alzate regularly starting together in midfield is, is yeah. quite exciting for next season.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, moments of the year, we've already mentioned Ali Reza, and um, I think uh, Richard put it in, and Raymond actually agrees, the Gents. He's also gone for Ali Jay's overhead kick. And Ryan at Saints, I think I'd agree with
1: that. Like, can I put an alternate one.
0: Uh, yeah. Everton, a of Everton,
1: ones as well. Everton home, the the goal that won the game there. I know it's an own goal in the end, but having lost to Villa in the <laughs> yeah. 93rd minute of the previous week, to then turn it around against Everton, whatever the rights or wrongs of the penalty were and that sort of mm-hmm. thing, in the 95th yeah. minute with a, a a brilliant move, even if it was a, you know, it's a shame that that that, that um, Lucas Lucas Dean got there rather than it just being Murray tapping at the far post, I think wasn't it? But yeah, yeah, that to um, me was. The season, yeah, I, I, I agree. I've got my two moments are slightly longer than moments in that they're
3: basically games, which is a moment just happens to be a longer <laughs> moment. It's a whole one. whole month of the year you're talking about there. Yeah. How do you it's measure moments, moment, um,
0: eh? You know, I was going to go good.
3: partly with Spurs at home. Yes, I know that it's a slightly bizarre game in that obviously Spurs had that the freak injury to Larice and you know the goal and obviously that injury okay. did. Throw yeah. Spurs and, off as, you, as it would, um, but yeah, they were. But yeah. it was the first time that I'd that we played with a swagger and we dominated a team, you know, a top six team. Obviously, you know, we'd beaten Man United, we'd beaten Arsenal in previous seasons, but those were quite kind of tight games. Whereas mm. this was one where we really had a swagger about us. Mm. And the second one I go for is probably well, you can let's call it a moment, you can go more pies winner at the Emirates. Because that's again getting that. Well, it wasn't really a monkey off the bat, but getting that mm. first win away from home against the top sixteen when you've not done it in yeah. you know by that stage two and a half seasons.
0: Yeah, I'd, um, a, I'd agree with those one. I'd agree with those two. I'd go with Arsenal at home as well, of course. For yeah, more pay okay. yeah. yeah. Um. Interestingly, um, Richard in his email did put Spurs down as his. Well, he put it comfortable afternoon of the year awards. Spurs at home, just sit back and watch it all unfold. Never in doubt. And obviously, we had Connolly, who, yes, he's gone off the boil and he's going he's gonna to come in fits and starts because he's young. But, yeah. you know, we, we, we were full of optimism, weren't we, in that game? Two <laughs> goals. Oh, yeah. I
3: mean, his second goal is probably, if you take out Jahanbash's one, in terms of a striker's finish, it was one of the best, one of the best goals of the season, I mm-hmm. think, if you look at it as an actual technique, finish-wise. Yeah. Yeah. But he knew he was going to score. That was mm-hmm. the thing. As soon as he came in and shaped to shoot, I think it was pre- partly because how that day was going in general. See, everything was going our way and everything was going against Spurs. But I think he, he his confidence obviously built throughout the game. and You just sort of knew
1: that he was going to score. Yeah, you would have, you'd have got a long odds at that point that he wouldn't end up scoring until the last game of the season. I, yeah. I, that Back to, a little bit to that Arsenal home game. I would say of all the games that I would say kept us up, that, was, that goal possibly was the difference. Because yeah. it have yeah. been so long since we've won. Yeah. and you know kind of like especially when we're one nil down you think oh god not again you know same thing go. same as ever you know we play quite well but then one one lack of concentration etc good finish. And then, yeah exactly. Yeah, and then yeah and then obviously getting the goal back so quickly helped but even at one mm-hmm. all, you're thinking oh well it's, it's, it would have been a decent weekend but we're still not one since yeah. about a million years and, and then to get Spurs- that goal in that way
0: being Spurs and Arsenal, it's brilliant. Obviously, being in North London as I as I am, and Peter, you've got mates from when you were there as well. I'm sure yeah. it's particularly delicious for that reason. If any of you guys are listening, sorry, boys. <laughs> um, but um, the thing with definitely the Spurs not game entitled, today, though, are they? Yeah. Oh yes. Def- <laughs> def- definitely not an entitled
1: <laughs> fan base. I, I go back so to when I was those school. Buttons, Robin. <laughs> I go back to when I was at school and when Barnet fans were saying how rubbish Brighton were. And, uh...
0: yeah, yeah, things have moved on, haven't they? But I, I was luckily um, invited, wife and I, to be in a corporate, uh, a one-off ticket for a corporate for that game, um, home to Spurs, um, with Raymond the Gent. And he had also invited a friend of his and a couple of uh, other Spurs fans. Um, so the three Spurs fans and three, three Albion fans. It was great. <laughs> Quite enjoyed ourselves, I have to say. Um, so that was good. Um, Richard's got quite a few other categories, so I think they're quite good to work on. Actually, if we if we work our way through, he's gone for best away fans, Spurs and Everton, pessimistic and stoical in equal measure. <laughs> so I think he's being slightly sarcastic. Um, worst away fans, he said Villa. Just watch the game, FFS. <laughs> um, any particular take on fans this season? I, didn't really have any standouts myself.
1: Villa away was pretty galling, and they're like, buddy, that having dominated them for half an hour and been the better team, mm-hmm. I'd say, even with ten men, to then lose to their, to them, and their um, uh, prick greenish was... was pretty gutting.
3: Norwich fans were all right, especially considering it was that World Cup final mm. day, Russ, with the it was literally the worst, basically coming down from Norwich when train lines were being closed. And yeah, it was, this is the rugby At world. one stage, there was a doubt whether the game was actually going to be on because it was yeah. the weather was that bad. Yeah, and I've never been fact, so stoked
0: or, in my life since well, Yeah, since already, me,
3: you know? <laughs> at that point of the season, they were already in a fair bit of trouble. And they were very, mm. the ones we spoke to on the train, I think when we were going yeah. Up yeah. to the stadium, nice bunch, as you'd expect. Yeah. So I'd probably Always put them anyway. down
1: for best.
0: Yeah, my um, Who do fans... you reckon is
1: going to be the worst fans this season?
0: Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the only ones probably. They'll be the best and the worst, won't they? For probably only got one yeah. game of. I, I was
1: thinking of a specific team who, given the chance, would be the worst fans. Mm. Though
0: I can't think who you mean, Peter. Can no, you I rob things? No. I yeah. think who he means. Yeah, um, I really hope that uh, that's going to be that potentially could be um, open doors, couldn't it? Actually, by then, which is a bit annoying. But uh, we'll see. Um, in terms of Palace fans damaging the banners outside the Amex, was that this season just gone? Yeah, it was, remember. yeah, I think. Yeah, oh, was, they're down it, as but... worst fans for me then. Have some respect for your superiors, please, boys.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, we go and improve their ground when we go there, so.
0: <laughs> yeah, when we dismantle the uh, yeah, look, that crappy little uh, away terrace bit um, near the bar. Anyway, uh, moving swiftly on, Flat Track Bully Awards. Man United at home, like watching... Federer beating a journeyman in straight sets, not quite a thrashing, but you knew what was he was going to win after about five minutes. Yeah, that was a bit of a one-sided Agreed. game at the Apex, wasn't
1: it? I'd say Liverpool,
0: City, similar
1: City Liverpool. Liverpool we gave them a game in the end at least. We got back to two one and we had yeah, you know, that chance that Dan Byrne had. Yeah. But yeah, City we just walked all over it's just,
0: us. It's just a template, isn't it? Just changed yeah. the kit yeah. colours really. Um, yeah. two hours of our lives we won't get back award. He's gone for Newcastle at home. What day was that game again? (laughs) Um, Yeah, pretty awful, wasn't it? There's been a number of games. No one really wanted to play in that game, though. though. No, that was a terrible game, wasn't it? Quote of the year, brackets player. He's gone for Neil Morpé, of course. Some of the Arsenal players need to learn humility. They got what they deserved. Couldn't have put it better myself, he says.
3: Non-verbal quote of the year is Shalotto, isn't it? Oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> the crybaby, yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> Which, of course, Morpé partly reflected on when he was uh, taking the Mickie of Arsenal after celebrating uh-huh. the, uh, the goal he scored uh, against Burnley, wasn't it? No, was it Burnley? Southampton. Southampton, sorry, yeah, Southampton. Southampton yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's gone for Quote of the Year journalist. Guardian report on Man City game. It said, At 4-0 down, the cardboard cutouts in the East, Upper East Stand could have been forgiven for leaving early to beat the traffic. <laughs> Yeah, well, as uh, we've already mentioned, that was a bit brutal as well, wasn't it? Um, best potterism, so presumably this is uh, potterism quote. He's got two of these. He said, if you hit the bottom of the ketchup bottle hard enough and often enough, eventually the sauce comes out. Brilliant. <laughs> I didn't I didn't catch that quote, did you? Um, no, I didn't. Eat your heart out, Eric Cantonal, he says. Um, and the second potterism is, it's like fixing the plane in flight. <laughs> <laughs> Not recommended, I have to say. Great summary of where we are, I suppose. Um, he's also gone technology scandal of the year Sheffield United's own goal versus Villa. Mm-hmm. Um, they put men on the moon, for fuck's sake, he says. If they stay up, it's because of that. Well, pretty much guaranteed. That was obviously uh, happened to be the yeah, case. By uh, although the Villa fan we had on a few weeks ago talking about um, Velman coming to the Premier League uh, was saying that there's swings and roundabouts far as decisions go but well we'll we'll leave that one hanging be fair uh, we would
1: be in the bot. We, we'd be in the bottom three without var yeah maybe. except going back to this sort of thing about lines for not bothering to make decisions i'm not sure we wouldn't mm. we would have been probably well hopefully spotted all these miles off side yeah. players why have we uh, flipped on var i'm feeling very confused <laughs> i'm suddenly <laughs>
3: defending it and peter's like oh no it's, uh, yeah, it's ironic real, isn't uh, it
0: it is. The tables really have turned, haven't they? Um, and
3: on that on that note, I yeah, just I don't even go any further, can we, after that?
0: <laughs> well, technology scandal of the year too was that penalty versus Everton, thirty thousand people united in total confusion. Disappointment of the year, apart from Leeds getting promoted, obviously, results versus Palace, smashed them away and only got a draw, didn't turn up at home. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair overall. Um, I think it's not a case of didn't turn up. I think it was just one of those really
3: frustrating games where like we said to Johnny, Dunk had that header that hit Mopay. Mm. And it was was, like I said, when we were talking about it in the aftermath, I think Andy was on that show, I think. We were saying Mm. very similar to the playoff game in that the longer it went on nil nil, yeah. the more nailed on it was that we were going to lose one nil. I mean, we had a good yeah, chances.
1: I think if I'm feeling, yeah. March missed a really good chance in the first yeah, half. Yeah, the first, first half. Didn't yeah, he. he
3: just couldn't. He couldn't hit yeah. the target. He had half the goal to aim at. So yeah, not turning up is a bit of a that's yeah. inaccurate. I think as far as I.
1: I think it's one of those games. It's... Once we went one nil down, we didn't have the quality in the final third to really break no, the team down.
3: And, and, and that that's hopefully at... where
1: Lalana will come into it. Hopefully.
3: Yeah, and I think Palace yeah. annoyingly are very good at managing games in that situation
1: well they're much better they. away from home aren't they than they are at home yeah. generally they can shut they can that shut teams down yeah, um, yeah.
0: Well, fairly well other, anyway um, bugbearer of the year he's gone for getting to the fourth or fifth paragraph of newspaper match reports before realising that Albion were even playing <laughs> come on chaps yes typical uh, top six centric fan major journalism needless bureauc- bureaucracy award was the legal consent form for joining the TV fan wall Remember, he was, Richard's the guy that was one of uh, the Albion family we you know that was on the TV wall after um, Project Restart. He said, anything that uh, bans drinking, smoking, drug taking, swearing, gambling, nudity and uh, product placement is far too restrictive for a match day. Um, not that he ever got on, really. He was on I, there have, I have to say, once, to be right?
1: honest, anything that bans nudity on match day, match day I'm very much in favour of. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, I don't really I don't want to be
1: watching were... my TV and then lots of people dancing around naked. Yeah, of Richard, Welsh.
0: if you're listening, Richard, we want to know: were you intending to do all of that
1: <laughs> at the same um, time? Yeah, one in each hand.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> depends um, what's in each hand?
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> A refreshing U-turn award. He's gone for support for Black Lives Matter, having spent years over punishing players for revealing slogans on T-shirts. The authorities not only allow political gestures; they're mandatory the same support is offered to the players protesting against football's tolerance of dodgy oil rich statues, sorry states, um, with, a, with awful human rights records for example. Um, ripple on the ocean warning of the approaching storm award. Mikel Arteta testing positive for COVID-19 four months ago and a lifetime ago it seems now. Um, that of course was the game that uh, led to us, um, well, uh, going into lockdown. Um, unexpected lockdown benefit, apart from the podcasts, obviously, he says. Seagulls over London Q&A sessions. Sidwell and Zamora, if I had to pick one, but all very insightful and enjoyable. Thanks, Roger. Roger being Roger Bevan, the chairman of Seagulls over London, for organising that, along with the club, of course. Um, they've been brilliant, weren't they, Peter?
1: Yeah, they've been really good, yeah.
0: Really good. And we had we had Graham Potter, we had Dan Ashworth, we had Paul Barber two or three times, um, and various other players, Glenn Murray. Sidwell, Samora, Dicker, uh, Bruno, I think, did we have been twice, I think? Might Mm, have been twice. I think so, yeah. Yeah, so quite a few. It was absolutely fantastic. Um, Credit where it's due award, everyone involved in getting the season finished safely. Yes, it was about the money, and yes, I had the same concerns, says Richard, as everyone else, but the rigour and attention to detail deserve a lot of praise, and and, and saves everyone months of legal wrangling, brackets, see Scotland, close brackets. Um, fond farewells of the year, Baron Kyle, model professional blighted by injuries, though, and Ezekiel Sc- uh, Scilotto for idiosyncrasies like borrowing water bottles from fans, but above all that little exchange with Zaha. Um, man of the year, he's gone for Paul Barber, articulate, persuasive, accessible, prepared to defend unpopular positions, and fights the club's corner without ever losing sight of the bigger picture, deserves a statue. Um, I think he's been superb throughout his tenure. He's got, he, almost like Lewis Dunkey. he seems to have got better and better, hasn't he, Peter? Um, yeah. He, he never misses a beat. He never misses a point. He seems to, not only is he articulate, but he doesn't seem to miss anything out, which is very easy to do when you've got a lot of points to get across in a Q&A or a press conference. And it's easy to miss out some of the nuances or the details or to not quite convey the points in every single detail. But I must admit, everything I've listened to from him he seems to get it over absolutely 100% spot on. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, no, I agree completely. Yeah, absolutely. I know it's
0: sycophantic, but it, it's true. It really is. He's he's been superb. We couldn't have a better CEO really for the for the situation, the context we're in. He's been brilliant, and he's got great shutters on his windows as well. As we now know from his Q and A sessions, um, I'd
1: say generally behind the scenes the club are very yeah. well run. You know, yeah. Dan Ashworth has obviously got huge experience of, you know, with the, the England setup and everything like that. And is you know yeah. we we saw with Lamptey the first sign of a young player joining us, probably as a part of the result yeah. of him. Graham Potter's yeah, his,
0: his his fruition coming in. Yeah. Tony
1: Bloom yeah. obviously is fantastic. You know, Graham mm-hmm. Potter's been brilliant in his first season here. I, yeah. yeah, I just it's very it's very good to be in a support sport club who yeah. have such a good backroom staff and yeah team executive team
0: absolutely and um we had the q a not not us at seagulls over london but the whole season ticket brigade had the opportunity to have A Q&A recently to talk about the possibility of getting fans back into stadiums far too many details to go into here because we want to wrap up in a moment but uh, but ultimately um the the ticket sales lady who's in charge of ticketing head of ticketing i think i can't remember her name peter can you at the moment, apologies if we uh, don't call this. But she was excellent. Uh, you know, just across the board, the staff behind the scenes are great. Paul Camelin, we've mentioned him earlier. Um, he's Again, he's done a great job. He's really stepped on. He's now head of yeah, media and communications. And, you know, the, the grander-sounding role that he's described by now is, I think, fitting because he's really expanded with the club as well. He's, he's been there from th- thin and thinner in terms of how our fortunes were in the war years and he's, he's I think he was just trying to get a programme out in the early days and I think he was involved in one of the fanzines. Um he was just a fan, an odd fan. He got involved, worked his way on up and has done brilliantly. So even even you know we, we have to say to him as well. Um fair play. Um couple of other things for Richard quickly to finish off his email. Reasons to be proud of the club. I think this is going to tie in a little bit with what we've said already. Plenty, he says but I'll pick the Albion's as one campaign, sorry, the Albion As One campaign. Meaningful amounts raised for many of their in their hour of need, including ticket refund waivers and one in the eye for Matt Hancock. <laughs> Certainly true. And reasons to be cheerful. Lamptey, Basuma, and Alzate, the future. And he said, that's it. A bit longer than intended. Blame the second coffee, he says. Bring on Burnley. This was obviously sent just before the Burnley final game of the season. Up the album from Richard so thanks very much for that uh, communication from you Richard um I, I think he sums up a lot of stuff really well there doesn't he at the end mm. yeah yeah and um, we have lost Robin he's disappeared I think he had to had to go somewhere so thank you for joining us Robin um Peter we'll wrap it up there anyway for this episode um thanks again for joining us we're hoping to get oh. Amy Packham on for our next episode so um we'll see what his take is from being behind the scenes and having his press pass at the Amex and um, we're looking for doing some other features through the rest of lockdown. Oh, sorry, not lockdown, the, um, the pre-season, which is about five minutes long. Uh, so stay yeah, tuned about for that. Yeah, weeks,
1: three weeks from now, we'll be playing our first game, I think, won't we? I know.
0: Less than. Again, it's amazing, isn't it? It's crazy.
1: Chelsea and their... Uh, well, no, because it's Monday night, isn't it, the first game? So, so it will be exactly at this stage.
0: Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. So, against
1: Chelsea's yeah. multi-squillion-pound summer
0: signings. Yeah, the fixtures came out. The, the least exciting of all fixture release dates, I think, this year. Uh, the latest and the most boring. Yeah,
1: it's not quite um, the normal of like, oh, well, which grounds can I go to this season because they <laughs> yeah. fall right? And, uh,
0: which games are we we going to look forward to missing? Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, we've got Chelsea first match and we'll see what happens. In the meantime, Peter, thanks for joining me. Um,
1: thanks for asking. The Cheers. Albion. Stand or fall.
3: Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: 18 plus.